0: You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. If you have a Bible, you can open it up to Ephesians 5. And we'll begin in verse 6. And then we'll take it all the way to verse 14. Verse 14. And if you're able, please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Chapter 5, beginning in verse 6, going to verse 14. God's word says, Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Verse 11, take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of these things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. may be seated. Well, as you know, we are continuing on in our sermon series, United in Christ. And we've seen how we are indeed united in Christ, and then how we're also united to one another. Our union in Christ takes on a very specific way of living. So we're not just talking about some theological idea. You know, (laughs) Ephesians 1 really lays it out, what it means theologically to be united in Christ. But it takes on a specific way of living. Today, we are going to see what it means to walk in the light. In God's providence, some of what I say, I will say this afternoon will connect with what Eric shared last Sunday. And if you were not there and you're able to listen to it, I encourage you to, to go listen to it. And my heart this afternoon is to help you think biblically as you live in this world. How do we think and act in a way with the Bible as our guide, right? The Word of God. As a pastor, that's, that's my heart this morning. And because we have to think well about what it means to walk in the light, <laughs> what it means to heed some of these warnings we read about in Holy Scripture. Here, here's a quick story about the power of light, because that's clearly one of the dominant themes. As you may know, the powers live in an old farmhouse. Um, it was built over 100 years ago. And as with many old homes, the basements are incomplete. You just can't live in it. It's it's good basically for for storage and in our basement, there's several rooms, and there's one particular room that I loathe going into. I, I do not like it. There are no windows. It is stuffy, and it indeed smells like every old basement. <laughs> um, every horror movie has this basement, like, in the movie. <laughs> and you cannot pay me to stand there in the room, in the dark, alone. I tremble the thought. Well, here's the deal. Our furnace is in that room. <laughs> And uh, occasionally I have to muster up the courage to go in and change our furnace filter. The only reason why I'm able to muster up the courage is because I can turn on the light. <laughs> I can flip the switch. The light exposes like, all the dimensions in the room and it reminds me of <laughs> all the things I don't like about this particular room. But it does help me see the way forward. The light gives me the courage to, what's this word we keep saying? Walk in. And change the filter now I know my fear of the basement is a little strange I I grant that but the determining factor to help me overcome my fear and see that things that need to be exposed is to turn on the light flip the switch right if it seems to you that a theme is on repeat since the beginning of Ephesians 4 you would not be wrong like your favorite music album that is on repeat, the theme of walking reemerges or it just simply is not left. We read about how a Christian is to walk, which is another way of saying, Christian, here is what it looks like to live as a disciple of Jesus Christ. So if you believe in all the truths of Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, in light of all of that, this is how you live we've already already read that god's children are to walk in unity that was the very beginning of ephesians 4 We're supposed to walk in holiness that's the second half of ephesians 4 We're supposed to walk in love that's the first 6 verses of ephesians 5 and now in verse 8 we read that christians are to walk as children of light that's verse 8 The same Greek word for walk is being used every single time, and it's carrying the same emphasis. If you are in Christ, Ephesians 1, if by grace you have been saved through faith, Ephesians 2, and if the mystery of the gospel has been made known to you, Ephesians 3, then here is what it looks like to to walk in this new self. Here is a, a fundamental point Paul is making in Ephesians 4, Ephesians 5, and Ephesians 6. Christians are different. Christians are weird. God does not view you as such, but the world looks at Christians and says, now, hey, that is a peculiar people. That is a peculiar people. And perhaps the word peculiar is a polite way of describing Christians. Consider what we see in Ephesians from another perspective. Let's turn the diamond that is Ephesians and obtain another view. We should be concerned if the church does look like the world. We should be concerned if the church does look like the world. Far too often the church and Christians in the church are more concerned with the latest cultural fad, right? Um, some Christians just want to be liked by the world. <laughs> if only they like me, I don't want to offend anyone Some churches have simply acquiesced while at the same time relegating Holy Scripture to something that's well below them. The difference between a concert at Wells Fargo Arena in downtown Des Moines and a worship set at some churches, the differences sometimes are minimal. And I've been to those churches. They look eerily similar. Jesus did not come so that his disciples would look like the Romans, the Greeks, and the religious Jews. Jesus did not come so that you would look like an American. Jesus came so that you would look like him. What should become clear to you as we've been marching through the book of Ephesians is that how you live and how you prioritize your time Your activities, your money, how you parent, how you treat your spouse is built upon a foundation that is sure and is true. Your foundation is Christ. Christ informs every aspect of your life, Christian. The foundation was laid, as I already said, in Ephesians 1 through Ephesians chapter 3. And now Paul is showing you how to live out of that foundation. But here's the deal the devil hates you and your foundation the devil wants to deceive you wants to wants you to partner with him in his shenanigans he wants you to participate in his nonsense if we are going to be a peculiar people who walk as children of the light, then we need to be aware of what we are up against. We need to be eager to live for the Lord, while at the same time having an awareness of the tricks and the schemes of the devil. We want to live for the, for the Lord with that awareness. Let's not be fooled or naive. In Ephesians 5, verses 6 to 14, we see three instances where a negative statement is being made. These negative statements function as warnings about how to live. It's good for God to give us warnings. Without warnings from God, we will be tempted to transform into a person God abhors, a child of wrath. We saw that earlier in Ephesians. Without warnings, we may not ever know what is good and right. Sometimes the warnings help us to see the opposite side. I need this warning so I know what is right or know what is good. For those who appreciate being told how it is, this passage is kind of for you. (laughs) Just tell me how it is. For those who struggle with uh, receiving correction, then this passage perhaps will challenge your heart a little bit. If you're in the latter group, I encourage you to allow God's loving correction to come upon your heart. This passage is for you. So there's three warnings. Here they are. Number one: let no one deceive you. Let no one deceive you." There's another one that says, "Do not partner." And then we also have, "Do not participate." or "do not take part in," depending on what translation you're going through. So I'm going to take them one at a time. And as we look at these warnings, we're also going to see what it looks like to be children of the light. Don't participate in the darkness. Here are the warnings. Be a child of the light. Here's the first warning found in verse 6. Let no one deceive you. Let's read the entire verse. God's word says, let no one deceive you with, something very specific here, with empty words. It's qualified here being very clear. Let no one deceive you who is speaking empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God has come upon the sons of disobedience. Ephesians 5, 6 is similar to Colossians 2, 8. It says this in Colossians 2. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy. Here's that word again, empty. Empty deceit according to, now more qualifications, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. There are things within the world that are not in accordance with Christ. Don't be deceived by those things, but keep your focus on Jesus. Do not be deceived by what you hear and what you read. Now, are not these passages a relevant warning for our generation, and frankly, every generation? There's a lot of empty words being spouted out at a reckless and relentless pace. We live in a day of disinformation and misinformation, the words keep changing. We live in a day where political narratives are spun to achieve a specific goal. I'm not picking on any party, it's all the parties. It's hard to know what is true and what is false. The question on the table is this. We don't want to be deceived. So, how can we keep ourselves from being deceived? Right, If we're told, don't be deceived, how do we keep ourselves from being deceived? With empty words. And the answer, we need to be a people who are grounded in the word of God. And what do we read in the word of God? We read about God's great plan of redemption and the power of the gospel to save and to transform. We need to be a people who are about this book If you do not want to be deceived, then you need to get into God's Word. You need to get it in front of your eyes. You need to get it into your heart. When you are grounded in the Word of God, you are better better able to discern right from wrong, good from evil, deception from truth. In Paul's day, it was necessary to give this warning because there were unbelievers actively speaking against the gospel of Jesus Christ. In particular... There was a group of people called Gnostics, these false teachers. They thought they had a particular knowledge that no one else could obtain but them. False teachers were deceiving Christians, especially those who were newer to the faith. In our day, because of technology, the access of lies in front of our eyes and in our ears, think about podcasting, right? It's at a fever pitch. I mean, Just think about all the information you now receive on a daily basis, right? Get your phone, pull it out, access to anything you want at any point. And how are you able to discern the truth from the lie? You can't see this in English, but... Ephesians 5, verse 6, is a really strongly worded Greek sentence. Paul is emphatic about the deception taking place, and he states in the strongest terms for Christians to be aware of what is going on. So I said earlier, we can't be naive. We can have a passion and a joy to follow Jesus, while at the same time, a clear awareness of what we are up against. If Christians are going to be mindful of deception, Christians need to think critically about what is being said and what we are hearing listen the lies we hear and read in our day will not relent i promise they will, it will not relent if you read the news have a social media account or engage in conversations with other people you will hear lies so how are you preparing your mind right are you willing to think critically with the word of god as your foundation May I suggest that a person not engaged in God's word is more likely to be deceived? Let me say it again. It's going to suggest that a person not engaged in God's word is more likely to be deceived. Now, does the Bible address every topic that has ever existed? Like where is the chapter and verse mentioning COVID 19? <laughs> right? No, the Bible doesn't address every topic, but it sets down principles for you to live by. And these principles help you to discern empty words. When the word of God is your foundation and the foundation of your speech, then words are life giving, your words are true, your words are not empty, but they honor God. A, com- a commentator that I read, especially as I've been going through Ephesians, tells us the difference between Christians and unbelievers regarding this particular verse. He says this, Believers, the conduct and speech is to, be, is to not be destructive, but constructive for the purpose of building up one another in the faith. Unlike unbelievers whose conduct and speech are destructive, and they will face the wrath of God. The latter are sons of disobedience or unbelief, having accepted the lie of the evil one. On the other hand, believers are sons of obedience or faith, having accepted the truth in Jesus. You might be thinking to yourself, man, surely it's an overstatement to say an unbeliever cannot say something true, right? It seems like hyperbole or overstatement. Well, when it comes to the most important issue, salvation, There's only one truth, and the rest are lies. There's only one truth, and the rest are lies. You might remember from last week when Eric McIntyre said that your source of truth will inform what you believe. That was a big emphasis of his. So yeah, Christians are not perfect and correct about every issue that has ever existed, but we are surely more equipped to discern right from wrong, truth from lies, because our source and foundation is Christ. So, brothers and sisters, let us think well, and may we not be deceived by empty words. So that's the first warning. Here's the second warning, and it's found in the next verse. We are told not to partner with the sons of disobedience or unbelievers. I think that's the point Paul is making here, our verses 7 to 10. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. In verse 8, we're introduced to this contrast of of light and darkness. and kind of led out with a story about light and darkness in my basement. Now we see it here in Holy Scripture. The distinction between light and darkness is all over the pages of Scripture. As a matter of fact, this morning I was reading my wife's devotional out loud to her. It was Psalm 36, and there was a line in there about what it means to be in the light. It's all over the pages of Scripture. And now we see it here in Ephesians. As a child of the light, you are to not partner with darkness. Sons of disobedience or unbelievers. Now, lots of qualifications here. Is everything not of the Christian faith darkness? In other words, can we partner with non-Christian endeavors? Where, like where's the line here? I think that's a fair question. If if Paul is saying don't partner with them, then there are other things that we could do that serve a holy end. Can we partner with that? Where's the line? Again, the plumb line that guides and governs our ability to know what to partner with is God's word. Let's give some examples here. I'm going to be giving many examples. (laughs) Can Christians partner with a non-Christian organization that pursues a goal to end sex trafficking? absolutely i think so as a matter of fact many years ago my wife was involved in an organization that wasn't trafficking in terms of worldwide but locally helping women come out of prostitution give them housing and clothes with a non-christian organization that she was partnering with but you know what do we carry the same end goal that god cares about you bet can Christians partner with a non-Christian organization to care for the poor on the streets of Des Moines? Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. If these organizations are not antagonistic to the gospel, I think there is space to serve together. Now, should Christians and the church partner with organizations antagonistic to God's word and the gospel? I do not think so. I think that is a recipe for disaster and I think this but that's what Paul is directly telling us from Ephesians 5. Beware. Listen to these doctrines and tell me. Uh, this is of, of, a, of a very specific organization. And tell me if you think Bible believing Christians should support this organization. Here's several of the doctrines. This organization states we disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another especially our children, to the degree that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure. What this first doctrine is saying is that marriage between a man and a woman, and it's in this context in which kids are born and raised, is to be destroyed. God created and ordained the family. This organization wants to take it down. Here's another doctrine from the same organization. We foster queer affirming network. When we gather, we do so with the intention of freeing ourselves from the tight grip of heteronormative thinking. This organization believes God did not create a man and a woman. Gender is fluid. It, cha- it changes and your gender is whatever you want it to be on any given day, in any given moment. So this organization wants to tear down the family and dismantle God's design for men and women. One more doctrine. We make space for transgender brothers and sisters to participate and lead. Here we read about the same unbiblical approach to gender. Now, I'm getting into something controversial, and I acknowledge that. But it fits here. It's what we see in God's word. And I haven't made statements that I'm about to make because we go through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, and I'm not gonna take the square peg and put it into a round hole. Before their website was scrubbed in September 2020, you could read all this and more at the Black Lives Matter website. I am talking about the organization. So please do not misunderstand me. Now I'm not trying to be antagonistic or pick a fight. I want to live out Romans twelve eight if possible. So far as it depends on you, it says, live peaceably with all. What I'm trying to do is help you apply God's word because there will be another day in the future when the racial tension will get ratcheted up again. It will happen. I promise it will happen. History is a great indicator of what we're going to be seeing in the future in all the news cycles. And you will need to be prepared to think well about applying God's word to what you see and what you hear in the world. So, do we want to fight for racial justice? As an example, absolutely. I'm on record stating my position about the evils of racism. Should Christians support an organization that is hostile to the fundamental principles that God has laid out in his word? No, never. Here's one more example of trying to discern partnership. Listen to these doctrines from another organization. White people should be dominant over people of other backgrounds. Another one. Whites should live by themselves in a whites-only society. Here's another doctrine. White people have their own culture that is superior to other cultures. Same organization, one more doctrine. White people are genetically superior to other people. that also of darkness? Absolutely. Christians should never partner with an organization that gives the slightest hint, slightest hint, to white supremacy. White supremacy is wicked and evil. I could could provide a myriad of examples of ideas and organizations Christians should never partner with, whether it's personally or collectively. We should push against these organizations because they are of darkness, in my opinion. I highlight race and racism because we have been talking a lot about it lately. It's the conversation within our culture, and it's not going to abate. So when we look at Ephesians, we realize we do not partner with sons of disobedience, children of wrath, who speak empty words. What is pleasing to the Lord is when children of the light partner with other children of the light for the advancement of the gospel and to uphold values and principles that matter to God. In verse 9, it says, children of the light bear fruit. If you're reading the ESV, you see that the translators created a parenthetical statement. It reads, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. As a a young Christian, I thought the biblical metaphor of fruit to be really strange. (laughs) Like, I'm just like, I got an apple and a banana. What are we talking about here? It always seemed like inside Christian talk in the church. I'm bearing fruit. Okay. You got an apple tree? (laughs) But when I began to read my Bible a little more, it's in passages like Ephesians 5, 9 that clarify Paul's point. The fruit or result of being a child of the light, is that you do know what is good, you do know what is right, you do know what is true. If God is your source, then your speech and conduct will reveal what is good, what is right, and what is true. And we know what is good, we know what is right, we know what is true from the one who is the Word, John 1.1. We go to the word to formulate the principles by which we are to live. I want you to notice a characteristic about the Apostle Paul out of this passage. And it's applied in all of his epistles that he has written. When it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul is not a pragmatist. A pragmatist is a person who is guided by practical considerations instead of ideas or ideals and principles. For example, when two people disagree on a topic, they find, like, quote, middle ground, right? Ideas and principles might need to be compromised in order to, like, reach an agreement. In life, there's certainly reasons to make pragmatic decisions, right? You've been married, <laughs> you know? Sometimes you make pragmatic decisions where it's like you're on one end... The other person's on the other end. It's like, we've got to find a way forward here. Yeah, you, in, your, in your workplace, you might, have, you might come to a point where you have to make pragmatic decisions, especially if you work with other people, right? So there might be opportunities to be pragmatic, but we must never compromise principles that God has made clear. There is no room for compromise when it comes to the fundamentals of the Christian faith. We receive these warnings from Ephesians 5 with this charge. There is no room for pragmatism when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no room for pragmatism when it comes to the gospel. Paul continues to build his case in verse 11. Here's the last warning. Take no part In unfruitful works of darkness. So now we're back at the darkness versus light metaphor. Darkness results in unfruitful works. Living in darkness does not uphold what is good, right, and true. The same root of the Greek word for unfruitful, the same word for fruit. Paul is making a direct connection between fruit or good works of Christians walking in the light and the unfruitful deeds of those who walk in darkness. I think what God wants you to see from his word this afternoon is that your works are an indication of what you believe. Your works are an indication of what you believe. The use of light and darkness serves another purpose. Light exposes sin that dwells in darkness. Take a look at verse 12. For it is shameful even to speak of these things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Can you imagine a wickedness so dark and so grave that you find it difficult to even speak about? I can compile a list in my head of shameful acts being done that I would have trouble talking about in front of my kids and in front of your kids. When you live long enough, you realize there's a whole lot of evil in this world. So do we hope for... We want to hope for the wicked things to be exposed we hope for light to reveal what is happening in the dark. Early church father, John Christostom, said this about verse 11. He, Paul, has said, you are of the light. Light exposes what takes place in darkness. Insofar as you are light, your goodness shines forth. The wicked are not able to hide. Their actions are illuminated as though a lamp were at their hand. Here's the deal. Sin eventually finds you out. This principle is true for Christians and unbelievers. Sin eventually finds you out. Sin finds you out because the light is stronger and greater than the darkness. For Christians, there is a way forward for walking in the light. The way forward is to act in repentance, a lifestyle of repentance. In John 1.1, 1, 1, we read about the importance of confession and repentance for Christians, and John's tying this to this idea of light and darkness. God's word says this in verse 5 of John 1.1, 1, 1, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, God, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And verse verse 9 is what I really wanted to focus on, because as Christians, there is remaining sin that we fight against. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And there's more to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. On a personal level, we live a life of repentance, knowing God has, has, has forgiven our sins and made us clean. At the cross, the light of the world die to forgive you of your past, present, and future sins. But we still have this mandate to live a life of confession and repentance. It's an act of living in the light. But Christians, we read in Ephesians 5, are also called by God to take action to see that the light exposed sin in the world. So it's personal, personal, but it's also external. So you do not participate in unfruitful works that live in the darkness. You are called by God to bear good fruit and, by the way, expose sin and lies that live in the darkness. Twice, the English word exposed is used, same Greek word, first in verse 11, then in verse 12. We are called to participate in exposing the darkness. We get some sense that Paul is calling the Ephesian church and now us into Christian activism. I can give multiple biblical examples of how Christians are to be active to expose darkness with gospel light, but here are just two. Again, hot button issues. And I I bring in issues that we're all seeing so I can help you apply what's going on. Planned Parenthood. Yes, I am going there. The killing of unborn babies is wicked and evil. It's becoming popular, it seems, from afar, For a segment of Christians to be pragmatic when it comes to abortion. I think this is wrong-headed and biblical, and again, I'm going to say that with the utmost grace and mercy and love. But we also need to stand upon truth. Christians must stand upon principle when it comes to the heinous issue of abortion. Christians must be active to see that any clinic that kills an unborn child to be shut down. Now, if you want a fuller treatment of why it's essential to expose the dark and wicked world of abortion, along with how Christians are pro-lifers after a child is born, there's a podcast coming out tomorrow, shameless plug, dealing with the issue of abortion. How do we think well on the issue? And also, by the way, how do we care for moms? And how do we care for those who've had an abortion, who are grieving? Right? Right? How do we extend mercy and love and grace to them? The point to be made now is that the light must expose evil lying in the darkness. Here's another ex- example, another area of darkness that needs to be exposed by the light. Human trafficking. I already kind of mentioned it once. This statistic blew me away. Human trafficking generates $150 billion in revenue every single year. $150 billion. That's heartbreaking. Human trafficking is modern day slavery. In particular, children and women are stolen and then enslaved and then forced to do things, evil and wicked things, against their will? I mean, don't we want that exposed? You bet. In an effort to keep things PG, I won't explain what these things are. But Christians must work to see the darkness of human trafficking is exposed by the light. What do we got to do? What legislation needs to be passed? What can we do locally? Human trafficking, along with other evils and wickednesses in this world, must be exposed by what is, again, what is good, what is right, and what is true. So Christian activism is good when Christians are active in pursuing issues that matter to God. Christians have the light of the gospel, which exposes sin in the hearts, but also has the power to expose sin that hides in the darkness of our, of our culture. And so After all this, after talking about light versus darkness, dead versus alive, bearing fruit, bearing good fruit, versus bearing unfruitful fruit, (laughs) that was very redundant. After telling us how we are to conduct ourselves as Christians, Paul goes right to the gospel. Just kind of lays out, this is how you live the Christian life, oh, and by the way, Jesus Read verse 14 with me. Awake, O sleeper. Just think in your mind, resurrection. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. I I think think the Apostle Paul is taking his cues from the prophet Isaiah, because we read this in Isaiah 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Here's how Paul is sharing the gospel in this verse within the context of these three warnings. If you are a Christian, God has resurrected your soul from the dead. You, are, you were living in darkness, but now God has moved upon your cold, dead heart and has shown you the warmth of his light through Christ the light I have been talking about has been shining upon your life and evidence that the light of Christ has been shining upon you is that you are indeed walking in the light and you are committed when appropriate to expose darkness with light. The three warnings in our text are reasonable. I, I truly believe that. And then the Apostle Paul clearly thought that as well. They are reasonable because we must not drift back to once we once were. To paraphrase one commentator, the deviant path that does not please the Lord and the light is necessary to expose these works of darkness, which are contrary to the Lord's will. While these warnings can draw our attention to what is beyond us, we've looked at several examples. We must remember also to look within. Christ shines most clearly when he is Lord of your heart. All these external things are fine and good in terms of exposing sin that is lying in darkness. But let's first also begin here. So yes, we hear the warnings. And we can quickly and directly apply these warnings to our life I've tried to help you see the direct application from these warnings. Therefore, are good because they help expose lies that live in darkness. And now we walk as a people who live in the light. Because Jesus is the light of the world, John 8, verse 12. And we belong to Jesus. The light is now at work in us and working through us. You are the light of the world. Matthew 5, verse 14. So now let's pray. And my prayer for you is that the light of Christ that came upon your cold, dead heart will continue to be magnified in your life. Let's pray. You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org.